you are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. Yeah, welcome back to 101.9 IFM. If you've just tuned in, today I'm chatting to Gabriel Krauss. He's a writer and an analyst from the Institute of Race Relations and we're chatting about the IEC's application to postpone the 2021 local elections which is a decision based on the findings from a report provided by former Deputy Chief Justice Mosaneke. And, well, despite considerable input from civil society organizations, uh, political parties and individuals, the report appears to go against the majority of what was was provided, the majority of public opinion. So this has resulted in the IC applying to the Constitutional Court for an extension and the or extension to the time allowed between elections. So several several organizations have expressed concern and they have also raised legal challenges to the IEC's application. One of those is by the IRR. Good afternoon, Gabriel. Trust you are well. How's it Rob? Thanks very much for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. Always good to good to see your face again. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Catch up. It's been Fantastic. an era. It has absolutely been an era and a wonderful one at, at that actually. It's been a great time for, for civil society to actually get in and, and influence politics where opposition parties seem to have fallen short and, and not been able to do so. Which is I think perhaps a a turn in, in the public space and well, it's actually rather encouraging to to see that people thinking for themselves, using information provided by by your organisations and platforms and uh, processes provided by provided by others. But I think what's really brought to light here is this decision to postpone the elections affects uh, literally every person in in South Africa to one degree or another, and. Some people have said it's a good idea, and from our survey, we've, we've picked up that a, a majority, in fact, about 67% of participants said no, they mm. must carry carry on. So why, perhaps it's begin with a explanation as to, or to our listeners as to what the threats around um, the postponement is, and um, what is what can be done, and why this seems to be an unreasonable uh, decision, in, in our opinion. So let's start with the very beginning of our constitution, chapter one. Uh, chapter one guarantees a universal franchise, a common voters role and regular elections. Regular elections are a founding value of this country, of this constitutional democracy we're in. Uh, then we can go from that to section 159 of our constitution, uh, which gives the particular limit to municipal terms and when the deadline must be for municipal elections. And that sets the, the deadline for, for this election at November 1st. So we've got an expression of what it means for re- elections to be regular. They have to happen every five years with a 90-day window thereafter for the elections to take place. Deadlines, uh, regular elections, these are... I don't know. Someone asked me, why do deadlines matter? They give, they give life structure. You know, the original deadline was sunset and you had to make sure that there was food and fire and you were in a place of shelter 
And ever since then, humans have needed deadlines. We need self-imposed deadlines. And when we break those deadlines, there needs to be a very good reason. When it's a deadline as serious as something entrenched in the Constitution, it's, it's, it's not clear to me that you could ever break that deadline, that there's a mechanism to do so. But if it were the case that we had to do so, it would have to be because the facts were overwhelmingly in favor of postponement. And so then we move from the legal to the facts. And the facts are just not overwhelmingly in favor of postponement. In fact, if you look at the IEC's latest submission, they say, we'd like to do voter registration in mid-September because we're sure that in mid-September there's going to be very, very little coronavirus. But then in October, we can't have an election because we have no idea how terrible it might be. In October, who knows what's going to happen. But in February, we know that it's going to be fine. So we can have an election then. This is, <laughs> this is not, there's no, there's no actual human being who thinks this. This is just the kind of jumble that comes out of, uh, an organization that is, um, I don't know, trying to kludge its way through things. But it's definitely not the case that the scientific advice is saying, uh, that February is definitely going to be fine and October is definitely going to be very scary. In fact, the, the advice that the, that the IEC was given was that September will be a relatively low point. October will be a relatively low point. But if we're not, if, if things go the way they've been going, there'll be a new variant and there'll be a new wave and February will be touchy. But that in any event, if you just use common sense measures, the same way we do for going to buy groceries, the same way we do for our social grants queues, the same way as we do for when we get vaccinated. I mean, there's lots and lots of people that get vaccinated every day, hundreds of thousands, if we're doing it right, right? Uh, they need to queue. All of these places where people need to queue, we make sure that we use these common sense measures and we can manage it safely. So we can do it any old month safely was a lot of the advice that was given. Um, in terms of Feb versus October, the, I, I don't think the IEC, I think it made an error in judgment that was not justified by the evidence that was given. Uh, and so the, 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 the reasons being provided by the IEC to postpone are just very weak, very nebulous, very speculative. And to break a deadline set by the Constitution for such ambiguous, nebulous reasons oh sets a terrible precedent and does something wrong the very first time. Well, it definitely does. And and just to be clear, that the deadline that they are, they are breaking is the time allowed between elections, not not the time for a, a new election to take to take place. So we're obviously going to exceed that that time frame and that's what the application is for. They want to extend that actual that actual time frame. It's it does raise some really interesting questions. I mean, why would the IEC do this when there is absolutely no evidence that they can base it on? It's totally assumption, mm. as you say. And also the the recommendation by um, civil society organizations and individuals onto, onto the report, it seems to say that, no, we can actually go ahead with this. Why why do you think that um, Mossenecke recommended a, a postponement? 
and the IEC act, acted on it. Was was it a pre-planned thing? Was this whole report just a? Uh, I know I'm delving into, sure. into into conspiracy theory there, but you know this happens far too often where reports are commissioned, but they seem to have a predetermined outcome. Yeah, there is something to that. So let's start with the IEC's trajectory. I found this very interesting poll, uh, which said that in 2010, 70% of South Africans, more than 70% of South Africans trusted the IEC. And that by 2019 or 2018, 2019, that had come down to 30%, 30-something percent. So a huge slip in credibility for the IEC. And I wondered, well, why is that? Well, one reason is that in 2016, it was dragged to court because it turned out it had been breaking the law for the last decade plus. The law says you must publish a voter's role with the voter's addresses, uh, so that you can, so that people can check that they, uh, that parties aren't smuggling voters in, uh, address wise into the role so that they can shift the balance in a particularly contested district. Well, they haven't published 12 million people's addresses on the voter's role. Uh, between 2003 when it became a law in 2016 and they got dragged to court and they're, and they, they, I mean, it was just like, basically guys, we're sorry. We, we didn't do it. We tried. We've even lost some addresses. You know, we're a little bit incompetent, but can we just go ahead anyway? Uh, so that's, that's embarrassing. They then asked the courts if, if they could have four years to do it. They still haven't done it within the four years. Uh, so, bit useless there. The latest case with the IEC in court was just last month um, where the Supreme Court of Appeal found that they had um, incorrectly censured the Democratic Alliance in the 2019 national campaign. The DA had campaigned on the line that they had fired DeLille uh, and she said, no, you didn't fire me. This is a lie. The IEC must stop you from advertising these campaigns. And the IEC said, yes, no, you must stop. You didn't fire her. <laughs> they went to court and the court found that a reasonable definition test was met by the DA's uh, muscling out of the former Western Cape Premier. Anyway, so they, they, they overstepped their mark there again. We've, I've got about seven uh, cases in my notes where the, where the IEC has just been found completely incapable of doing its job properly in the last decade. So there is a pattern of the IEC not being able to do its job. There is a pattern of who benefits politically, um, and it's not the opposition. Uh, so if you look at who the IEC board is, is, is staffed by, you know, these are presidential appointments, uh, as well as, um, a couple of other appointments, which are basically also just presidential appointments, but because first you become sort of public protector and then you get a seat on the IEC board. Uh, mm-hmm. But to, to, to get there in the first place, you had to be a presidential appointee. Uh, so it wouldn't be totally surprising if the IEC's board at this stage feels rather loyal um, to the party whose presidents have elected it. Uh, I don't have any insider information uh, to prove uh, a political motive, but it is important to appreciate that South Africa's had a, a terrible decade, um, and I'm including the Ramaphosa years, where we had two technical recessions, uh, we had the introduction of a suite of policies that were terrifying to investors, that stultified job growth, 
and reversed gross effect capital formation. And then we hit the plague, the, the, the pandemic and, and lockdowns that were irrational and the world's longest lockdown program together with some of the least successful results in terms of uh, curtailing the disease in terms of a vaccine program. So things went from bad to worse. And then they went from worse to spectacular uh, last month with the riots, um, with, with sort of just television screens constantly focusing on, on burning and looting and disrespect for the constitutional court, disrespect for law and order, disrespect for private property rights, sort of manifestation of so many of the things that had gone wrong. And that drew out a beautiful response. Uh, you know, so many South Africans um, cleaning together, working together, sort of standing proudly together and saying, we're not going to stand for this. And I think that that's scary for the uh, ruling incumbent to see. Um, I wouldn't if I was in uh, government right now, I would be afraid to face the electorate mm-hmm. because I imagine that they're angry and that they have seen each other. Neighbors have seen each other stand up and say, I'm not going to stand for this kind of thing. Um, so this is, it feels like a change moment. And so it's a very convenient time to postpone an election politically <laughs> for the incumbent. I'm just noticing, uh, the political play. I'm noticing the IEC's constitution and its longstanding, uh, useless record of incompetence, but I'm not, uh, <laughs> going to claim that I can verify that there's any sort of SMSs or envelopes or anything like that. <laughs> I will say one last thing on this, which is, so I think maybe no one's going to be too surprised about that. Well, what about Dikang Seneke, former Deputy Chief Justice? He's mm. a good guy, right? I mean, he, I think he really is a good guy. Mm. Um, but I also noticed that since his retirement, the first thing he did is, is sort of uh, publish a book, and he went on a long book tour. Uh, and a lot of speaking opportunities around that. And then the next thing he did was basically after Ramaphosa became president, he became Ramaphosa's chosen um, peacemaker. So Ramaphosa sent him to Lesotho and Tanzania, a couple other places to sort of go out and speak on the president's direct behalf to peace processes that were important. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's good work. But it does show a close personal trust between uh, the president and Chief Justice Mosineke. Um So that's interesting uh, in terms of uh, what he might have gone in thinking. But the other side is that, you know, the report was written in haste and I think that Mosineke's mistake was a very simple one. I think it's simple enough that one can explain it uh, in very fancy terms uh, it's a ceteris paribus mistake versus a holistic judgment error. Uh, but <laughs> so that, but but what does that mean in simple terms? It means he was told he was he asked all the medical advisors, should I postpone? I'm, you know, I've been recommended that I need to consider about whether postponing is a good idea. Would it be better to wait because there'll be more vaccines? And they all say, well, every time you have more vaccines, then that's better. So then he says, but should I wait? And then some of them say, no, 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 you shouldn't wait because there are other factors involved uh, and and October seems like a good time to go. Um, but he comes back and in his, in his final report, his reasoning is just more vaccines are better, so we should wait. And this is, I mean, when I studied philosophy of science, 
the example that we were given of this kind of mistake, this fallacy, the Ceteris Paribus for holistic, for holistic prediction fallacy, is a very simple one. If you're in a car and and you put your foot in the accelerator, is the car going to go faster? Not necessarily, no. No, no, but all other things being equal, if yes. you don't do anything else, then it'll go faster. It should if, do. If, if it's in first gear and so on. But what if you also put your foot on the brake and your other oh. foot on the clutch and you pull up the handbrake and, in fact, the car is, uh, you know, going on an uphill and someone puts an oh. obstacle in front of it? So if you just look at one factor, ceteris paribus, all other things being equal – Putting your foot on the accelerator should make it go faster. But if I say I'm going to do all of these things, I'm going to put my foot on all of the pedals and I'm going to put an elephant in front of the car, do you predict that the car will go faster? No. So all things being equal, more vaccines is better. But that's not the same as a holistic prediction of whether February will be better than October. Mm. And he he made the mistake of confusing a ceteris, ceteris paribus claim for a holistic claim. Even though in the scientific, um, even the oral presentations that I've watched, I can't make any of the, I can't see any of the scientists making that mistake. So I think he made a hasty error in judgment. That would be the kind interpretation. Mm-hmm. Perhaps he was just trying to find a way to come to a conclusion that had been predetermined by the cigar smoky roomed discussions with his good friend Cyril Ramaphosa I'm not uh, I have no evidence to suggest the latter um, but I but, he, but it's very clear for whatever reason that he made a mistake and that this mistake suits the IEC who are pushing for a postponement completely irrationally it does and it, it's it actually does appear to be a, a common mistake that that government does make they don't look at any problem holistically and that's why it's the role of civil society to bring those other points of view points of view across. And on on that note, uh, if you're a qualified social worker or psychologist, then take a listen to this. The High FM helpline is looking for volunteer counsellors to join our helpline team. If you are qualified in trauma, uh, grief, or crisis counselling, then the High FM helpline. We'd love to welcome you on, on board. Uh, if you're interested, please email info at highfm.com with your contact details. Now, Gabriel, there's a, there's some uh, very interesting, um, behind the scenes going on, goings on here that you sort of touched, touched on there. And like I said, the role of civil society is to actually get, get involved and bring these, bring these to the public. Um, uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when, when we come back, perhaps we should talk about uh, what those plans are and what civil society to, uh, plans to do mm. to address these issues and mm. ultimately act in the favour of uh, civil society at whole, which is what government is supposed to do. But with that, we'll be right back after the break. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson. Because democracy doesn't just happen. Hey, welcome back to 101.1, 101.9 High FM. Uh, we're chatting today with Gabriel Krauss about the postponement of, of the elections. Is it just, should it happen, should it not happen, should it be challenged? Is the Mossamaker report uh, all it claims to be? Well, 
let's let's find out a bit more. Welcome back, welcome back, Gabriel. Thank you, Rob. Fantastic. What, as we were saying before before the break, there, um, what what do you think is is the best way to approach this to act in the best favour of of civil society? So I, yeah, I think that it's important that there is public pressure. Uh, but at this stage, the mechanism for securing the election's regularity, as the Constitution requires, is in court. The IEC is going to court. Um, it's father's papers. The respondents are all filing today. Amici, friends of the court have already started filing their papers. Um, I haven't read all of the, the new applications, but we've read the IEC's application. Mm. Um, and it makes... You know, it makes this special prayer to the court where it says, look, one thing that you can do is force us to go on with the election in a way that is unacceptable. Um, and another thing you can do is say that, okay, it's unconstitutional for us to postpone the election, but you'll only tell us that it's unconstitutional after we've already postponed it. So you can tell us that we're naughty, but first let us, uh, you know, paint all over mom's carpets uh and this is i think it is useful to just get a sense of how desperate their position is in terms of the law but the court's position is also going to be i think because of because of false urgency created by the iec you know COVID is was not invented yesterday it was not discovered yesterday uh it's been around for a long time the report could have been commissioned earlier um Every scientist that I know of that was in the game of making anything like a prediction predicted that there'd be a third wave in the winter um, yeah. where when the registration p- period would have to be and when the proclamation would have to take place and preparations would have to begin for, for, for the election. So I can't understand why in May and June the IEC was saying, no, everything's fine, we're on track, we're going to do this, and then suddenly – uh, uh, mid June, they come out with a, when was it? In July, they come out with a report to say, no, we can't do this. Um, it doesn't make sense at all, man. Given, given that, but given that they've mm-hmm. now said they can't do it, um, the court is in a tricky position where it'll have to say, well, you're wrong on the facts or you're wrong on the law or you're right on the facts. So we'll have to break the law. Uh, and so, I, so some of this intervention, some coming in of friends to the court will be about drawing to the court's attention, um, the facts as already submitted to the report, further facts, uh, people can bring forward their ex- uh, expert witnesses, show things like this difference between, uh, the Ceteris Paribus claim that more vaccines is better and the holistic prediction that it's going to be fine, draw attention to the court. The fact that a hundred countries have had successful elections during the pandemic. Uh, Another thing that's very important to draw attention to the court though, however, is the, is the role that the IEC and the minister themselves have played in creating this false sense of urgency and in subverting the constitution. I think one of the most egregious things that's happened is that South Africans were denied an opportunity for in-person voter registration. After being promised that they'd have that. Mm, that's a very good point. So, I mean, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have been denied the chance to register and therefore the chance to vote in this election. That is unconstitutional too. Uh, you know, the, the three things I said in chapter one of the constitution, 
First is universal franchise. Everyone who wants to vote should have a reasonable chance to vote. That has been denied because the proclamation came early. Secondly, common voters role and thirdly universal franchise so another thing to do is to show the court that this is not just a, a difficult situation that's been created by covid so maybe we have to break the law but it's no one's fault no a lot of what's going on here is bad action from the iec and from the minister for example proclaiming too early so the once the court realized if you can show the court that then it it ought to change the kinds of remedies that it seeks out and ought to change the amount of trust that it puts in the IEC uh, to say when the election should actually take place. I think one of the things that we're all kind of worried about is that the IEC says, we'll just postpone it once to February. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, never postpone it again. And yeah. then comes December and they say, well, you know, it's very terrible. We didn't realize, but people travel over December and when they travel, some of them make other people sick, so there's more cases. This is, you know, we can't have it in February. We must have it in July next year and then again and again. So exactly. sooner rather than later, the court needs to see the IEC for what it is, which is at the very least incompetent, which is constitutionally delinquent, as is the minister with her early proclamation and uh, to take very seriously the fact that if the Constitution is going to be protected, it's going to require the court's uh, rather stern intervention in that regard. Absolutely, yeah. Which is, which is rather rather concerning. I mean, surely the the perfect solution, if if the problem is um, a, a, the vaccine or availability to the vaccine, or they want more vaccines, why not just turn? every voting station into a vaccine station as well. It's a perfect solution to to the problems. Uh, I'd like to see that kind of argument in court and the response to that. Yes, no, there are, this is exactly the kind of – one looks forward to hearing their responses under oath. To, <laughs> yeah, well, we know, we know that, yeah, it's – but definitely from, from a, a marketing perspective seems to be based on the reputation that, that the, the ANC has at, at this given period. Not just the ANC, but the other parties that raised that, in particular the EFF as well. Yeah. And they haven't had a chance to do their election campaigning properly. They've been too focused on, on other issues and the social situation has, is not creating a good enough platform for any election campaign on their behalf. However, it has created the perfect election campaign for any opposition party. So we can see why there's, there's uh, uh, a drive to postpone this, to allow more time to build up reputational and repair reputation damage there. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. Indeed, democracy doesn't just happen. It requires hard work. And welcome back to 101.9 High FM. We're chatting to Gabriel Krauss from the Institute of Race Relations about the postponement of the elections based on the Mossenmaker report and the challenges to that postponement. Uh, if you missed the show, make sure to catch up with the podcast, which is available on our website at www.highfm.com. Welcome back, Gabriel. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> Always good to, to have you on as usual. But mm. let's 
let's wrap it up and say, well, how can people get behind this? How can the general public say if they want to uh, support a challenge to the postponement? What, do you, what are their options? Yeah, so there are a variety, but I'm going to focus on the IRR ones. IRR.org.za, our homepage, has the, the first button that you see there is Save the Vote. And our Save the Vote campaign has been going since the moment the Mosineke report was published. Um, we have gathered lots of petitions. We have gathered uh, fabulous – it's been a, a great fundraising thing. We've already got enough money to uh, have our have – our, go to court and be very well represented and to to be representing the interests of South Africans who want to protect the constitution and keep regular elections uh, but we still want more numbers on those petitions um, because we think it that might matter it might be helpful to 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 show the court how many people really care about this another thing to do I think is check out the daily friend uh, which is a news website that we run. We have podcasts on this topic. We have news items on this topic. We keep updating uh, on the on the latest developments, including we'll be having summaries about uh, the various other submissions that are being given. Because this is not just one organisation, as Rob knows better than anyone. There's there really it, there's there's a great team effort happening here. Um, this requires many mem- organs of civil society as well as some political parties who are getting into the mix, which mm-hmm. is good, um, to make the message loud and clear that this, that this is not acceptable, that we have to stick to the deadline set by the Constitution, if at all possible, and that there are reasonable ways to achieve that. Uh, this, is, this is something that uh, I think is uniting South Africans, the frustration with political incumbency, incompetency, and frankly just disrespectful theft of the public purse has gotten to the stage where people feel enough is enough. And in order to hold our leaders to account, we first have to be able to vote. So let's stand together and make sure that we can do that. Let's make sure we can do that on an informed basis. And I think that, uh, yeah, uh, the Daily Friend is, is, is a great source of information about this. You can also check us out on our social medias, Facebook, Twitter. But I think anyone who, who, who uses those channels already knows. It goes without saying. It goes without saying, indeed, it definitely does. Gabriel, it's absolutely wonderful chat with you on a rather serious, serious uh, topic. And wish you the best of luck with, with the challenge. Uh, I know we're also joining yes. as, as an amicus. Yes. And like you say, this is a collaborative effort in the best interest of civil society. So wonderful to see you again. And definitely we'll have you on soon again. Amen. Thanks, Thank Rob. you, Rob. Look forward to it. Lovely. Have a wonderful day.